How many are ready for the preaching of the word? The last and final week of the greatest, the last episode. I want you to remain standing, but grab your Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. We've been looking at this chapter called the love chapter. And we've been looking at it in light of the rest of Corinthians and the lack of love that was going on. Pastor Samson delivered the first message the first week, and it was so good. Go listen to it if you haven't. And if you have, go listen to it again and share it with others. The second week, I preach, and I'm just telling you, I gave it the best I could give. Go listen to it and share it with somebody. Today, we're going to put a bow on this thing. Verse number nine of 1 Corinthians 13. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then, I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And I want you to read this last few words with me. Here we go. The greatest of these is love. One more time, would you say it with me? The greatest of these is love. Father God, help us today to hear what your spirit is saying. May we embrace the love that has been given so freely to us through your son. And God, may we grow in that love so that we can receive the rewards that you have intended for us so that we just embrace the always growing, forever love that you've promised us. It's in your name that I pray. And everyone said a big Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Puppy love. First love. First crush. Any, anybody conjures up some memories? First kiss. Okay, for some people it could be as early as elementary age, middle school, maybe high school. But all of us have that moment where somebody stoked our interest, like she's cute, he's cute, whatever that may be. For me, I remember the first kiss, seventh grade. Right after school, I did not ask for permission. She turned her head, looked the other way, and when she turned back around, she was met with my lips on her cheek. And then she started to cry. And then she took off running. 
That was the start of my, 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 if you can call it romantic career. <laughs> it did get slightly better over time. But I, I remember some of my friends writing on pieces of paper to somebody, forever love, love you forever. All these nice little words and then two months later they hated the person. They wanted anything to do with them. Why? Because that's the world's love. The world's love is fleeting, it's fading, it's fickle. But God, God's love is different. First John 4 and verse number 8 says clearly that God is love. Stop defining love by your feelings. Start defining love by faith in God and handling your relationships the way God would want you to handle your relationships. That is love. Love. Forever love. And so with this in mind, this forever love, and God is love, love expects growth. So if God is love, we say God expects growth. Even in this passage, you see it. I was thinking about our grandson, Shepherd, who's one years of age, about to turn two, and the parents feel like it is time to pull the plug. I'm talking about the pacifier. It's time to move on. And so this week it happened, and it has been hell on earth. <laughs> you, you would think, and especially when it comes nap time, when it comes to bedtime, it's, he is, so what, what is going on here? Is it cruelty? Is it cruel punishment that parents are giving, or is it part of the process? Come on, feedback, feedback. Part of the process. Everybody pretty much is yelling, part of the process. We understand that, but it's all perspective. It depends on whose eyes you're looking through. Because from shepherd's eyes, it's cruelty at the worst. And oftentimes we look at life and we wonder, is this cruel, unfair, unjust, or is it part of the process? God loves us. And in this passage here, you find that he says clearly, he says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I sat with me, grew up, I put away childish things. In other words, the pacifier comes out. And I move on to the greater things that God has in store for me. And in the book of Corinthians here, they were lacking in spiritual growth. They were still acting and thinking like the world, not acting and thinking more like Jesus. There was divisions among them. I mean, some were suing others over things that Paul says should be handled in the church. You shouldn't be taking this to a court of law. Circumcision versus uncircumcision. And Paul said, man, you're getting caught up over the wrong thing. It's not about a circumcision of the flesh. It's about a circumcision of the heart. So some were excited about their flavor of teachers and speakers. And they were saying, I like Peter, and I like Paul, and I like Apollos. And they're like, he's my style. And they were dissing on the other speakers. Paul's saying, no, it's about the word of God being preached. It's not about your flavor and your style. 
It's about hearing the word of God and obeying God's word. That's what it's all about. You're childish in your thinking. You need to grow up. And in verse number one of chapter three, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or at best, he's saying, as though you were infants in Christ. Grow up, get rid of the pacifier, and let's move on in your faith. Fast forward to chapter 14. He's dealing with them in regards to their spiritual giftedness. And people were flowing in their gifts, whatever those may have been. And he says to them that you should not be valuing gifts over spiritual growth. You should be desiring to grow in your faith first and foremost. And in verse 20, he says, dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Speaking of spiritual giftedness and how they would be used in the gathering of worship. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but mature in your understanding of matters of this kind. And he's laying out clearly to them this, that spiritual gifts are very important, but spiritual growth is more important. And that just because you're operating in spiritual gifts does not actually mean that you're growing in your faith. Now, 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 don't get me wrong, though, because he also says that you need to desire spiritual gifts. He says you need to ask for them. And there's a ton of those gifts. And as a church, we must be operating in the gifts of the Spirit. Gifts of discernment, gifts of healing, gifts of faith, gifts of tongues, gifts of interpretation of tongues. And the list goes on, and we should be. But the gifts are not also regulated to the fivefold ministry gifts. The pastor, the teacher, the apostle, the, 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 the it's, not, it's not for just those. It's not for just the people on the stage. The gifts of the Spirit are for the marketplace. It's for in your home. It's for in the classroom. It's for in your cubicle. It's when you meet in your north group. It's when you gather together here as a body of Christ. The gifts of the Spirit should be in operation. But what he's saying is that you should be craving spiritual growth first to become more like Jesus Christ. And as a result, the gifts will begin to come in your life so that you can glorify God with your gifts. Then he lays out basically two things about growing Christians. First is that growing Christians understand the gravity of their choices. Paul is writing to a childish church that did not understand the weight of their decisions. What was it doing to them when they were actually having sex outside of marriage? And they were just living life for themselves. When they were sleeping with a prostitute or just And then here in one specific passage in chapter five, he calls out a man who is having sex with his stepmom. And he's saying, that's not right. But they were proud of themselves, he says, 
And why are you proud of yourself? What was going on here is that they were proud of themselves because they were thinking, oh, we got this newfound liberty in God and God just forgives all sin and it's okay. He can keep living in sin, but God is good and gracious and merciful and he's gonna love people anyway. And you know what? It is true. God loves people even in your sin, but God does not want you to stay in your sin. He calls you to spiritual growth and to come out of your sin and live a life that is in line with Jesus Christ. And he said, no. He said, actually, because he is unrepentant, you need to kick him out of the church. That's love. That, that is real love. You need to get him out of the church if he is unrepentant. In fact, he even says this. He says, you know what you should be doing right now is mourning the sin that's among you. And you also should be in shame and sorrow calling out. He's saying that there is gravity to our choices and growing Christians understand the weight and what sin does to destroying lives. Secondly, growing Christians are willing to put in the hard work to become who they were created to be. I hope you got that. They'll put in the hard work. It is amazing nowadays. I, I talk to people like, Pastor, just tell me what I need to do. I'll give them one thing. Could you just read this passage in the Bible? Come back, let's talk about it. Oh, pastor, I got so busy, I, was, I, like, I, I just forgot. You really want to grow, but you can't do that one thing. And people come to me, pastor, my marriage, I'll do anything to save my marriage, anything to save my marriage. I'll say, read this book together. I want you to pray together every night, and for the next few weeks, and come back to me. Oh, pastor, it's just really been, we've just, huh? You want to grow in your faith. And, and, I've had people say, well, pastor, I, th I thought that hard work is like over now that we're a Christian. That's why we don't work hard for our salvation, that we are like, it's effortless. Like Jesus loved us and he paid the, and you know what, you're right. Jesus did the work on the cross and that has nothing to do with you. All of your efforts aren't gonna save you. But after you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are to put in the effort to become more like Jesus every day. And that's hard work. That means you get into God's word. It means you give whatever you have to to be at that group. It means that you show up regularly. It means you give yourself to accountability and to growing yourself to become more like Christ Jesus. And that is not always easy. We put in our hard work to be good at our jobs. We give the hard work to get our degrees, but we're not given the hard work to grow to become more like Jesus Christ. He goes on, he talks about some water and some plant, but it's God that makes things grow. And then in verse number eight of chapter three, he says it this way, the one who plants and the one who waters together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own, say it with me, hard work. Say it with me, hard work. I've watched my wife over the years grow, and it's been astounding to see her develop and become but I'm telling you, it did not come at a price. It came at a great price. She worked hard. Opened up her word every day. Diving into scripture, memorizing verses, seeking out mentors, listening to podcasts and how she could grow, seeking out, trying to work on those areas that she struggles with, and then seeing the transforming power of God work on her. Hard work. But love... Forever love also rewards growth. Forever love rewards growth. My, uh, Haley took grandkids to 
the dentist for the first visit this week, I was ready to hear the war story. Like, I, I was ready to hear how that, that uh, I mean, that they weren't gonna let the dentist look inside their mouth and they had to put them in a straight jacket and tie them down to be able to do this. And actually, I, I was very pleasantly surprised that they'd really done well. They were rock stars. And so Haley decides to take them to Target and let them pick out the toy of their choice within a certain dollar amount. And I think she regretted that later, but she went ahead and did it anyway. And so she rewarded them. You know what? Love rewards growth. And we have a God who rewards spiritual growth. And do you realize that you're gonna be judged someday? You're gonna be judged for two things. One, for sin, and the other one for your works. And for a lot of Christians, like this blows their mind. Like, no, you're kidding me. I thought we won't be judged for our sin. If you, you're gonna, everybody's gonna stand before God in regards to sin. But for those who have been forgiven of their sin and their sin is under the blood of Jesus Christ and been cast as far as east is from the west, buried in the sea of forgiveness, Jesus will be standing in your place. And somebody should amen to that. That's the blessed hope that we have as Christians. But even all Christians are gonna stand accountable for our works done in this body. To find out, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter three, whether your works are wood, hay, and stubble. How many of you have some wood, hay, and stubble? I've got some wood, hay, and stubble in my life, and you know what's gonna happen with the wood, hay, and stubble? It's gonna burn up. And then there's gonna be gold, silver, and precious stones. Those are the things that have been done unto God in obedience to him, and it's gonna remain the test, and it's gonna be tried by fire. And here's what it says, look what it says. But on the judgment day, Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a, say it with me, reward. One of the things that I've struggled with when our kids were small is how to discipline my children or our children. And I learned over time that you can't always just discipline actions. You also have to take into account attitudes. And sometimes that's hard. As a parent, you're trying to figure out, How I just, what do you do here? Do they understand exactly what's going on? You, you follow me? And so you're, you're disciplined actions versus attitudes. Because sometimes you can do a right action, but you can have a nasty attitude behind it. Hello. And sometimes you can do an action that was wrong and they made a mistake, but their motivation, their heart, their attitude was okay. And you've gotta be careful not just to judge an action right there and discipline that when their heart was in the right place. And that's why as a parent, you need the power of the Holy Spirit every day. And then when you lead people in a church and you got employees and then you've got other people that you lead, how do you deal with difficult situations? I can see the actions, but I can't see all the attitudes. I can pray that God will help me and he may give me insight into an attitude or reveal something to me. The bottom line is I don't know the hearts of all people perfectly and rightly, but let me just tell you something. That will not hold up on the day of judgment because our God sees every heart and knows every motive. He knows every action and he keeps a record of all of it and he also knows the intents of your heart. And in chapter 14, he says that he's going to reveal all hearts and they're gonna be laid bare on the day of judgment. I've been dealing with this Visalign thing for the last several months. They told me when I got it that it would be a 13-month process, and if everything went well, then you know, you'd be done, but it could be extended a little bit longer. And so you would get these trays, and the tray would go in your mouth, and they would be there for two weeks, and then you'd put a new tray in. They would have a date on there, and you would 
but that date comes, you put a new tray in. And at the end of like six weeks or eight weeks, then you go in and get a checkup, and then they see if they're progressing well, and then they give you a new set of trays, and you keep moving. So the very first tray I put in, I'm like, I got tired of it after about six days. And I'm like, the seventh day, I went ahead and pulled it out and put a new tray in. And then I continued that process every seven days. Instead of going 14 days, I'd just go seven days with the tray and put a new tray in. Then I called my dentist and I said, hey, you know, I moved my date up to when I was supposed to have my next dental appointment because I knew my trays would be running out and I wanted to get my new trays. And I show up at the dental office and they said, you're not supposed to be here. We got to make sure, you know, you need to go back. And then I said, can you just let the dentist look at my teeth and just see? And he looked at me and said, hey, it looks really good. I looked and then he says, but you shouldn't be here, should you? I said, well, this is what I did. He said, well, we're not supposed to do this, but I said, well, are the teeth doing okay? And he says, yeah, they're doing good, so let's continue to do it. I said, just every seven days. I went all the way down to four days. <laughs> and it was working great because I'm actually, I just did my last tray. I, this is the last tray, the last one, five months. 13 months turned into five months. Yeah, you know how I operate? <laughs> but I got down to the last tray, and what they do is they even actually take certain teeth and pull them down. I didn't know that. I thought I was just straightening them up. But it actually pulls them down too. And I got this one dang tooth that came down to the last two trays, and all it has to move is about that much and come down just a little bit more, and it won't move. That stupid, ignorant, dumb, <laughs> dang tooth. I'm using every Christian cuss word that I can think of. I'm, I'm, and I'm mad. That one right there. I'm mad. I've got, I've got 32 teeth. All 31 of them are doing great, but one tooth says I don't want to do it. And I think God used this just for this message right now to teach me that you cannot bypass the process. And some of you are trying to bypass the process. And God's saying, I want to do a work in you and don't try to figure it out and make it happen yourself. Give yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit. Give yourself to the Word of God. Give yourself to accountability and let God work on you. Let God. So he asked me, he said, do you want to stop? Because we're done. But I've got that much on one tooth. And I told him, I said, you know what? I can't stop short of finishing the job. And so... They had to remold my teeth, top and bottom, which, how many hate that? All that stuff in your mouth, and you can't really breathe, you feel like you're about to have a panic attack. <laughs> and then they pull it out, they send it off, it's gonna take a few weeks, and it's gonna come back, they're gonna give me some more, and I'll go a few more weeks to try to get this one tooth down, because I was determined not to settle. And some of you have been determined to settle, and you need to have an unction of the spirit that says, I'm determined not to settle. I want the best that God has for me. And the final thing is this, is that forever love, this love goes forever. This love doesn't stop. They were struggling here in the book of Corinthians with the resurrection. Not that Jesus rose from the dead, they believed that, what they struggled with is that, that they would someday rise from the dead. And Paul really lays it out there for them. And he tells them the hope that they have in Christ Jesus. He says in 
chapter 15 and verse three. He said, I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me that Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said. Hold there for just a moment. Hold there for just a moment. Paul wants you to know that Christ died for our sins. Bob Goff says love does and God did because love is an action. For God so loved the world that he gave, gave his only begotten son on a cross to die for us. But if Jesus just stepped out of heaven and came down to do a bunch of miracles and attract large crowds and to hang it down a cross and that was the end of it, that love is incomplete. Hear me? But Jesus didn't stop there and Paul wants them to know that. Verse number four, he says it this way. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. And then Paul begins to break down all the proof of that. The proof of the empty tomb. The proof of the eyewitness accounts. You got everything from the Roman elite guard who was guarding the tomb, possibly up to 100 men who were protecting their name. Yet they could not hold back God when God kicks out the end of a grave. And then he says there was 500 people at one time. That's besides many others that saw the real physical body of Jesus Christ. They touched his body. They felt his body. He ate with people to show that it was not some ghostly being. The eyewitness accounts and then the transformed lives. And Paul throws two people in that transformed life category. Himself, who he says, I was on the road to Damascus and a bright light shone down and Jesus himself met with me. What would cause Paul to go from somebody who was persecuting and killing Christians to the next day proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is? A resurrected Jesus that he encountered. And then he throws in another name, James. This is interesting to me. James, who's James? One of the apostles? No. Somebody who thought he was crazy. Somebody who was a critic of Jesus. None less than his own brother. Who probably despised him and probably did not like him. So what would cause somebody, your brother, to go from thinking you're a crazy lunatic to all of a sudden believing? Because they saw him die on the cross, James did. And they saw his resurrected body. And all of a sudden, he's like, everything mama said about you is true. You are perfect. You are God. It changed the game. And you know what we have through Jesus Christ? Resurrection, it's the cosmic receipt for all eternity. Not just for you, for all creation, because all creation groans looking for the day of redemption when everything is returned to its original state of Eden, where we have a new world and new heavens, where the sin that has caused so much destruction is done away with and God has restored everything to its original state. That receipt is found in Christ Jesus. I just got a shirt this week, I ordered it. It's not in yet, but I have it. It's coming. I'm already making plans on what I'm gonna wear with it, what pants I'm gonna wear with it, what shoes I'm gonna wear with it. I'm, gonna, I'm one of those guys. I've become that over the last few years. 
during the stage all the time, my wife has trained me and she's like, you gotta do this. And I'm like, oh, great, okay. And so I've got proof through a picture. I've got proof through the receipt. What's coming in the mail is gonna arrive soon. I'm telling you, you got a glorified body that's coming soon. It is proof through the risen Jesus Christ. He is the picture of what you are to gonna someday receive. Come on, and the receipt is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we've got a glorified body that is on the way. Somebody say amen. amen. And then he lays out there basically a couple of things. It's the promise of his coming kingdom. And secondly, the power of his present kingdom. These are two very important things. The promise of his coming kingdom. In chapter 15 and verse number 19, he says it this way. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Do you get that? Because it's not just about here and now. That's not what we're living for. We're living for the kingdom to come. When he sets up reign here and we have a new heaven and new earths, it's not just about going off in some distance, it's about ruling and reigning now. But that also throws into the same category of understanding the power of his present kingdom. Because Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. He allows us to share in his resurrection so that we can share in his kingdom now. Is anybody listening? So it's not just about heaven to come, it's about heaven now among us. It's about walking in his power. <clears throat> let, let me just explain it this way. When, when, when Shannon and I were going to go on a trip back when the kids were in middle school, just for their safety, we, we went ahead and drove a trust that was secure. We don't have much, but just in our home and some of the things that we do have and some of the investments that would be secured that if something did happen to Shannon and I, that our children would not have this stuff caught up in some legal debate and we'd know who the executor of the trust would be. And so that way that would, their kids, our kids would be taken care of all the way up to their 25th birthday. And at 25 years of age, each one of them would get full right to everything that was fully theirs without any question. But in the meantime, that executor would make sure all their needs would be taken care of and then also that executor would give them special requests that they would need at certain times. Do you realize what happened through Jesus Christ is that he secured what is to come for us and we've got his coming kingdom, but we live in his power of his kingdom now so we don't have to wait till the then and there because we as children of God can begin to ask for what is rightly ours. If you need healing, come to the throne of God and ask because we have access to the throne of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you need direction for life, come and ask God. My God will give you direction. You need wisdom? The Bible says if any man lacks wisdom, ask of God and he will freely give that. Come on. We have not because we ask not. But when you ask, you shall receive according to the power that has been given. This passage, the very last of I'm gonna end with this on Corinthians. He says, be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Hold it there. Be strong. Why those words? So, because he knows there's a devil out there that wants to take the seed that's being planted in your heart right now and rip it from you. That there's a devil out there that's doing his best to destroy your marriages, to destroy your kids, to destroy your life. And he's saying, be on guard, be on guard, be strong. And then finally he says this, and do everything with love. 
Do everything with God. Say it that way. Do everything with God. Because God is love. I want you to stand with me. I want our prayer team to come. In this service right now, there's individuals. I want every eye. Don't be distracted right now because the devil will try to use a moment even in the transition to keep you from what God is wanting to do for you right now. And there's someone in this room right now that you've been struggling with hearing issues. Maybe it's a ringing, maybe it's a buzz, maybe it's some loss, maybe it's some concern. God's speaking right now and wants to heal your body. Some of you have been dealing with some, it's a kidney issue or something in your lower back and my God says that he wants to heal your body right now. Don't walk out of here without being laid hands on and somebody praying for you and receiving your healing. Or some right now, they're on the verge of a relational breakup in a marriage, and you're struggling. Don't walk out of here. Let God transform your marriage by transforming you. 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 Oh, Holy Spirit, do your work today. God's wanting to do his thing, but until you ask, you're just, you're just leaving what is available to you on the table. Ask of God, ask of God, come to this altar, come receive. Let God pour out his Holy Spirit upon you. The kingdom of God and his power is available now for you. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. Some of you need to begin to move right now to this front and I'm gonna pray over you. And some of you, if, if there's other people being prayed for and you can't just come stand, somebody will get there, I will get to you. But some of you need to begin to move right now because the kingdom of God is right among us. Heaven is being poured out and lives will be transformed, but you've got to respond. Father God, I pray now by the power of your spirit that you begin to work, begin to work, heal, restore, deliver, give direction, give wisdom, give hope to people in need. In Jesus' name, amen.